Welcome back to the Strategic Stripping Podcast. This is part one of how to get out of a rut. I'm not sure how long this series is going to be, but the main topic is how do we take the negative self-limiting beliefs that we have and change our thoughts and our beliefs to give us courage instead of fear, belief instead of doubt, confidence, empowerment, and peace instead of whatever the heck the opposite is of those ones. So there are two ways that we can reprogram ourselves to think positive, thoughts full of belief in ourselves and our abilities, which will inevitably change the way that we think, which will change the way that we act, which will ultimately change our lives. In the last episode, the intro to the series, I mentioned a tiny little bit about Bruce Lipton's very large personality. Just to recap, PhD cell biologist and lecturer as an internationally renowned leader in bridging science and spirit, Bruce was on the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and later performed groundbreaking stem cell research at Stanford Medical School. He decided to end his career teaching medical students the things that he was teaching that were written in the textbooks because they were wrong and he knew that they were wrong. Bruce was teaching medical students that genes control life. You have genes that turn on and off whenever they want to, so just hope the bad ones don't turn on and the good ones stay on or turn on, and that basically your heredity ultimately determined your destiny. So I would like you to consider for a moment, if not for the rest of your life, that all of that is completely false that we aren't victims to our heredity and that we aren't victims to anything and that we can take complete control of our genes, our thoughts, and our realities. Bruce Lipton was doing stem cell research back in 1967 when only a handful of biologists even knew what stem cells were. The Mayo Clinic describes stem cells as the body's raw material, cells from which other cells with specialized functions are generated. Under the right conditions in the body or in a laboratory, stem cells divide to form more cells called daughter cells. So this is what happened that was groundbreaking research that went completely against the narrative, the story I'm about to tell you, and you can look this up, I'll leave a link to the site, it's on a government website, and it's called The Jump from Cell Culture to Consciousness. Bruce would put one stem cell into a petri dish, all by itself, and every 10 hours, it would divide into another one. So after 10 to 12 hours, he had two. After another 10 to 12 hours, he had four, and then six, eight, 16, 32, after about two weeks, he had tens or hundreds of thousands of cells in the Petri dish that were completely identical. He took the cells and separated them into three separate Petri dishes with different environments. He created different environments for them. And so think of the different environment as like our world and, you know, there's food and air and water and all the things that are needed to survive, but he could tweak things and change them around. So the cells were identical, but the environment was changing up to varying degrees. So he takes one stem cell dish and puts them into a particular environment and the stem cells formed muscle. He took another petri dish and put it into a new environment and these ones formed bone. He took another one and he put it into another environment and these ones formed fat cells. All of the cells were genetically identical, but they had very different outcomes. Muscle, bone, or fat, based on the environment. What controls the fate of cells? The answer is your environment. 
Your environment determines the destiny of your cells, not your heredity. So he was teaching future doctors, he was teaching medical students, false information that would eventually be told to these people's patients. These people that came in that needed help were going to be given this completely negative outlook on life that basically told them that they were victims to their heredity and there was nothing they could do about it. There was nothing they could do to change it. So you have cancer running in your family or diabetes or Alzheimer's or you know whatever else. People are being taught that they're powerless and we have no control over the genes. Bruce asks, what would you do if you were powerless? The answer is you would have to find a rescuer. Therefore, you would give up your own power because you have a belief that you have no power. And you'd hand it to somebody that was recognized as a rescuer, a medical doctor, a pharmaceutical company, or whatever it happens to be. That's, thank God, the career that he walked away from teaching because he knew that what he was teaching was not true. As a side story, I went to take my mom to a traditionally trained medical doctor who had turned into a Lyme disease slash mold specialist, which Medicare and Medicaid does not cover, by the way, which is insane because these are issues that can be detrimental to someone's health, especially when they don't know they have it. And most people that have those issues have no clue that they have it because traditional doctors, a lot of them don't even recognize that Lyme is a real thing. And I don't think some doctors even know that mold can live in the body. I'm positive because I called a hospital once and I asked them if their blood work could measure mold in the blood. And this lady was like, um, can you hold on? When she came back, she was like, I talked to the doctor and mold doesn't live in the body. But it does, and I know somebody that almost died from it. So I took my mom to this very lovely, very thorough lady, and I asked her, how did you get into being a Lyme and mold specialist? And she said, after being a traditional medical doctor, for I don't remember how many years she said it was, but it was a while, she started to ask the question, why aren't my patients getting better? And she started to ask her colleagues about it, and they were like, I don't know, sure would like to find out though. So she started doing her own research, and she started to find answers to the questions that she had. And she would take these very surprising findings that she had back to her colleagues and be like, look what I found. And she said her colleagues started to look at her like they were gonna hurt her. Because I mean, think about it. If your job was to help people with problems and all of a sudden nobody had problems anymore, what, what would you do for your work? Not only that, but I met somebody once that was in medical school and they sleep deprived them like what the f I mean, they are constantly on to a very not safe degree, especially when they're practicing surgery the following day. And on top of that, they're drowning these people in debt. So if someone comes into you and has super bad acid reflux, for example, and it's really hurting them, if you were the doctor, who was sleep deprived, most likely hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, are you gonna recommend them the pill that you're gonna make the most money off of? Because there's a lot to recommend. I know you're certainly not gonna ask them what they've been eating, because that would be crazy to think that what they could be eating and putting into their stomach was causing the problem in their stomach. Most medical doctors aren't even trained in nutrition. I've heard they get like an hour of training on nutrition. I'm sorry, like how could anybody possibly not think that what you are eating has or does not have an effect on your fucking body how could anybody possibly believe that if you were eating tar what do you think would happen to you okay 
tar is probably as close to quote-unquote food as some of the other quote-unquote food that's on the market. Here's a fun fact. Did you know that the way that you combine your food in your, in your meals can help or hurt you? Now, I've known this forever, but the data that I pulled this from was from a website called organicauthority.com. So for example, when you eat pretty much anything from the normal SAD diet, the standard American diet, it's interesting, any type of meal, from the SAD diet, the combination of the foods being taken in at the same time require different acids to break down the different types of foods in your body. So when you eat, let's say, a hamburger with french fries, you've got meat, starch, and carbs mixed with God only knows what kind of cooking oil. The starches and proteins need different digestive enzymes, different acids. Starches require an alkaline environment while most proteins require an acidic environment. When these are combined, the two enzymes essentially cancel each other out, which causes fermentation and leads to bloating and gas. So avoid things like pasta and rice and bread or potatoes served with chicken, steak, or fish. Like, that's a pretty standard meal. So basically eating just about everything that's normal to eat in at least meals here in the United States cause the digestive system to produce different acid types to break down the food and a headbutting game going on there. These different acids are coming in and they're not mixing well because they're not supposed to. So that can bubble up. So that can cause some serious discomfort. And then people, by the way, take pills to stop the natural processes in the body that are happening, your body is intelligently doing what it's supposed to do. And because you're unaware of what you're putting in your body, that's your problem. Okay? <laughs> and by the way, I'm not a doctor. I feel like I should go ahead and throw that out there because for some reason everybody seems to say that to cover their ass for whatever fucking reason. Not that doctors are the best people to listen to either. Two other different types of combinations here. Breakfast, for example. Bread, toast, muffins, whatever. Mixed with honey, syrups, jams, jellies. Shouldn't be eaten together because combining sugar and starch lead to fermentation, which means bloating and gas. And fruit. Fruit should only be eaten on an empty stomach or completely alone. You should give yourself at least 30 minutes to digest the fruit before you eat anything else. Let's say you eat fruit in the morning, and then let's say you follow it up right after that with literally anything other than fruit. The fruit will start to ferment in your system, in your digestive system, and will cause, you guessed it, bloating, gas, and discomfort. Somehow it ends up fermenting in there and rotting. It's rotting in your system. Yum. So don't eat them together. Back to the Petri dish. The fate of the cell is controlled by the conditions of the environment. The blood composition is really the factor that controls the genetic response of the cell. So then, what controls the composition of the culture medium? The blood. And ultimately, your brain is the chemist. So that leads us to the question, what chemistry should the brain put into the blood? The chemistry put into the blood by the brain is a complement to the picture we hold in our minds. The brain translates our mind's images into chemistry, which then goes into the body and creates a physical complement to the image that we hold in our mind. Buddha said, what we believe we become. Our perception 
our perception, the way that we think about things, changes the chemistry of our blood. In his lectures, Bruce tells a story that goes like this. If you were sitting there with your eyes closed and you open your eyes and you see somebody that you love sitting in front of you, a picture of love in the mind is translated by the brain into a very specific chemistry. In a state of love, the brain releases dopamine for pleasure into the blood. The brain releases oxytocin into the blood, which is a chemical that helps us bind to the source of love that we are experiencing. The experience releases another chemical into the growth medium, into the blood, called vasopressin. Vasopressin actually helps us to become more attractive to our partner so that they'll stick with us longer. How weird is that? Another very important factor released by our brain while perceiving love is growth hormone, which by its name does exactly what it says it does. It influences our growth. That result is the chemistry of the body's natural culture medium. Blood is adjusted by the perception of the mind. The perception of love introduces such elements as dopamine, oxytocin, vasopressin, and growth hormone, all of which are chemicals that enhance the vitality and the health of the 50 trillion cells that are in our skin. The chemicals released in love result in health and harmony and a glowing body. So people say, oh look, you can see how in love they are. See how they glow? That is a chemical expression of the culture medium affecting the vitality of the cells. And he says in a different video, you don't have to be, it doesn't have to be in love with another human being. You could be in love with gardening. You could be in love with music. You just find, like, find reasons to make yourself happy. Find ways to be happy. <laughs> what a concept. On the other hand, the same person could open their eyes and instead of seeing some, someone that they love, they could see something that scares them. In a state of fear, the brain does not release the chemicals associated with love. It releases chemicals associated with fear, which are stress hormones and inflammatory agents changing the chemistry of the culture medium. Look back and recognize the fate of the cell is directly dependent upon the chemistry of the culture medium. When stress hormones and inflammatory agents are released in the blood, they change in the genetics and the behavior of the cells and start to express a protection posture when they're afraid, which is antagonistic to growth. In fact, it actually cancels growth. The protection chemicals in the blood allocate their energy for fight or flight, not to improve. They're either gonna run or they're gonna fight, even if it's just a perceived Fear. I heard an example. Imagine you're walking through a forest and you see a bear. Your veins and stuff are going to open up. The, the blood is going to start rushing. You can run. Like the, the things the body does are fucking crazy. Like automatically. We, we don't have to think about it. It's just like boom, go. Well, what if you were walking through that same forest and there was a person dressed in a bear costume but you still thought it was a bear your body would have the exact same reaction and you would fucking run as if a bear was about to eat you it's your perception 
It's not even reality. It's not even about the reality. It's about your perception of reality. So your brain is the chemist and it translates your perception into the chemistry that complements the perception. The result is that your biology comes complementary to your mind and its perception, hence the nature of what is called the placebo effect. In the placebo effect, a person is ill and then they're given an opportunity to get a very specific medicine. The physician says, this is the latest and greatest drug and it's going to treat you and it's going to make you feel better. And look, it's purple. It's even colored purple. That's very good. Even the color is going to help heal you. And you say, my God, I found it. And you believe that this drug is really going to help heal you. So you take the drug and you get better. You heal and you get better. And later you find out that the drug was just a sugar pill. What healed you? Wasn't the purple sugar pill. It was your perception. It was your beliefs about the sugar pill that healed you. Almost everybody is familiar with the placebo effect now, but most people aren't familiar with the nocebo effect. Unfortunately, what a lot of people don't realize yet is that there is a consequence to negative beliefs. So in reference to the fact that the placebo is a positive belief, a negative belief is equally as powerful in shaping our biology and our genetics. And it works the exact opposite direction as a positive belief. A negative belief can result in any illness and even cause us to die. Just a belief. It can because this belief is translated into chemistry that will not support our vitality. A quick story. I heard a news story once that some coal miners got caved in somewhere and for, and for a really long time. And the only person that was in there that could actually calculate how big the cave was, it was completely closed off, compared to how many people were in there and approximately how many hours they could last with oxygen, told everyone that everything was fine. They had plenty of time. There was nothing to worry about. He was the only one that died due to lack of oxygen because he knew what he was saying wasn't true and he was just trying to keep people calm. But all the other people lived. So what does that say about the placebo nocebo effect? Oh my god, just about reality in general. Who knows if that guy even could calculate that correctly. I think that was like his job was to be able to do that in part. Regardless, even if that wasn't even if he had no clue what he was talking about, and he died based on not having enough oxygen in his body. So a negative belief relates to the nocebo effect. The nocebo effect is a consequence that can include any illness, disease, or death. And the result is simple. The chemistry that determines our biology, genetics, behavior, and life characteristics is chemistry derived from the brain, which in turn is derived from the brain interpreting an image in our mind. As we change our mind, we change our biology. This is the foundation of something called spontaneous remission. It's a wonderful term doctors use, spontaneous remission. We have no idea how this happened because it didn't come from a pill and they can't possibly recognize any other way it could possibly happen other than spontaneous remission. So say a person is going to die of terminal cancer and all of a sudden there was a spontaneous remission. Well, what the heck happened? Where, where did it go? In every case, the remission is due to the fact when you really dig in, you ask the people like, what happened? How are you still alive? What changed? 
they all had a profound change in belief, a change of mind in regard to the factors that affected their lives, a letting go of the stresses of the mind and issues that were creating a nocebo effect on their bodies. Letting go of those stresses can actually cause cancer to undergo spontaneous remission. It goes away. The power is not in the genetics. The power is in your conscious mind. Our consciousness is translated into biology via chemistry of the natural culture medium called blood. No, you are not controlled by your genetics. Your genes are controlled by your environment and more specifically, your perception of the environment. If genes controlled your life, your fate would be determined regardless of what was happening in the environment. These are your genes. This is your life. You have this cancer gene. You are going to get cancer and die. The fact is there is no such thing as a cancer gene. That is a belief that is self-sabotaging. If you have a belief that you have the cancer gene and you believe that that gene can turn on spontaneously whenever it wants to and it can give you cancer, then that is most likely the belief that you are going to manifest because that's the chemistry you're putting into your blood. That's what you are telling your cells to do. So a perception of cancer can cause cancer. Less than 10% of cancer has any heredity linkage at all. The other 90% or more of cancer is a direct response to the environment and the perception of the individual in that environment. It basically says genetic control is limitation because you can only express what your genes express. The new science called epigenetics, which it's been out for a while, but I really don't think that many people know about it. Epi means above. So when they say epigenetic control, they're literally saying control above the genes. This is the new biology. It reveals that the environment and our perception of the environment are what control our genetic activity. This is profound. A revolution for the simple reason that the conventional belief, which most of the public is already programmed with, is genetic determinism. It even sounds terrible. That makes people victims because if you can't control your genes and you didn't pick your genes, you can't change your genes, you become a victim of them. Therefore, life would be an expression of a pattern of genes that's just unfolding and everyone's just a victim to their genes. But that's just not how it is. Epigenetics changes the entire game because it says that the genetic expression is directly due to environment and our perception of the environment. We are capable of changing the environment we live in physically and our perception of the environment. Therefore, we are not victims, but we are actually masters of our genetic activity. We have to recognize that the belief of being a victim is a perception. And if that's what you believe, that you can be a victim, that's what's going to happen. You are going to translate that perception into your biology. And this is why it's essential that we share information like this, because knowledge is power. And a lack of knowledge is a lack of power. It took me a ton of hours to make this. Like, I'm not doing this for fun, okay? I'm doing it because it's the right thing to do. 
So a lack of understanding of epigenetics is disempowering for everyone. If you believe genes control your life, you let go of control, and other people's false or ignorant beliefs take over. And if you understand epigenetics, you can say, wait a minute, I have the ability to change the conditions of my environment, physically and perceptually, to enhance my life rather than to fall victim to illness. Now that is empowerment. The knowledge of epigenetics is power-inducing. Are you still with me? I know it's been a minute, and I hope this is making sense to you. Is this making sense? The reason we're talking about this is because it's important for your entire well-being for the rest of your life, for you to know that you are not a victim of your genes or of your environment, physical and mental, you can shape your reality. And if you live in a situation that you don't like, your perception of your circumstances is changeable to make it more beneficial for yourself and probably everybody around you. Set a goal that you will achieve to get into a new environment that you really love. We haven't even started talking about the two things that we can use to reprogram our subconscious mind. And because from what I understand about learning, 25-minute increments is the best for retention. So we're going to stop here with the knowledge input. And we're going to close with something from John Asaroff. If you've seen The Secret, you probably know who John is. He had a picture of a house that he wanted to manifest on his vision board. And like six years later, he was going through his boxes of stuff from moving. And he found his old vision boards and he was living in the house that he wanted to manifest. He was living in the house. And by the way, it can't be understated or overstated how much of a genius he is. One of his companies is called Neurogym. The man knows what he's talking about when it comes to regulating your mind and body, manifestation, creation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So John does something called Take Six, Calm the Circuits. So we're going to close with six long, slow inhales and exhales. This is super valuable for anyone that's living a normal life because we don't breathe enough. And when we do, we don't breathe deep enough. And doing it with conscious intention does wonders for your brain and your body and your overall well-being. You're going to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth like you're breathing through a straw. Here we go. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe out. 
vida. If you appreciate me, if you appreciate the podcast, the information from these amazing people that I study, please help me grow this channel by doing whatever it is that you would do if you had a podcast that you would like people to do for your podcast. Whether it would be like it, share it, comment on it, review it, tell people about it, post about it, whatever it happens to be. It would really mean a lot to me. Treat this as your tribe because it is your tribe as well. I am you on a fundamental level, and you are me. And as we wake more people up, as we plant seeds of love, of wisdom, compassion, and especially plant real seeds, physical seeds, that we or someone or something else can eat someday, the more peace, love, and abundance we will bring into not only our experience, but it will ripple out infinitely. I'm wishing you love, joy, peace, and enlightenment. Namaste.